let's start off here with the story from Denel, uh, now a state-owned uh, aerospace uh, and uh, defense manufacturer. They've confirmed that their CEO, uh, Dani Dutoy, who uh, he hasn't been there for long, I must say, uh, he's resigned, and uh, they certainly haven't said much about uh, the circumstances surrounding his resignation. But what do you make of this? I mean, I think it's Warren Buffett who said when a management with a reputation for brilliance tackles a business with a reputation for poor fundamental economics, it is the reputation of the business that remains intact. And again, here at the now, being the business that it is, um, I don't think it's going to turn around. And I think Danny finally figured it out himself and, you know, he's calling it quits. It didn't even give a reason because, you know, <laughs> it's not even worth it. That's how bad things yeah. are right now. Uh, but I'm you, you, yeah. No, no, I'm saying you're quite pessimistic about the prospects of uh, a turnaround here. Why do you say that? No, so I'm I'm going to come to that. But the big issue okay. is, which I guess answers you somewhat. The bigger the bigger issue is, it's not just Danelle that needs um, to be footed some money um, sure. to to stay afloat and be able to pay uh, its employees every month. I mean, Danelle has had these problems since two years ago. Uh, when they only had three months uh, worth of salaries in the bank and they're already knocking on, you know, the Minister of Finance's door and say, hey, look, hey, look at us here. They were waving. They needed help. Um, and mm. we've got the issue of FAA on the other side. And then we've got a whole host of other issues in the FOC space uh, in terms of businesses that have basically decimated through all of their cash reserves and are now coming back to the government, to the to the um, ask the taxpayers to say they need more money. Uh, whereas, mm. you know, the clear question is still like, do we really need these businesses? Is it really a bad idea if we privatize some of them? Hey, hey. Well, you know, Mulaz, you know my view on uh, privatization. Uh, but I can tell you right now that, um, you know, when it comes to a Danel, I mean, I'm not open to that conversation. Uh, largely uh, for national security c considerations and many other issues. But there are a few SOEs where I'm like, I, I hear I can't justify. I can't justify any reason why they should remain uh, under the uh, stable of the state. And, and I agree with you. I mean, we have 700 of these things. I mean, surely... Yes. I you know, uh, we've, got, yeah. we've got close to 800 of them. And how many are actually making money? Phew. Give me one. Exa? <laughs> South African okay. parks. There's South a few. African I mean, come on, man. Come on. Come on. There's a few. There's a few. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, we, we can't speak in the context of COVID. <laughs> Seven minutes it is before 8 p.m. It's our wrap of the top business stories. And I'm joined by uh, Bright Kumalo uh, from Vestact to uh, take a look at some of these stories. Now, Mbulaz, uh, the war chest, it seems, is going to get uh, nearly 2 billion rand stronger at Kuro. Uh, they're eyeing some acquisitions. I wonder where. Well, you wondering the same thing as this because um, we know that we're in the middle of a pandemic and obviously the, 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 the South African schooling market is very, very fragmented, especially on the mm -hmm. private side. Um, you know, we know families that own individual schools, individuals owning one school or two schools or eight schools. So there's definitely potential to, you know, consolidate the market mm -hmm. even further. Um but looking at, you know, what what actually happened with, with the rights offer, 1.5 billion rands, which, you know, um, was 99.98% voted in favor for by the shareholders is actually really impressive because then it means shareholders really believe uh, in, you know, the, the, 
the dream that management is selling, if I have to yes, say it like that. Yes. Um, mm. it's, it's, it, it, this will definitely help in, in, in making sure that the balance sheet is really strong and they see the business through this tough time. Uh, but also, like like you said, uh, for potential acquisition. But yeah, yeah. There, was, there was a comment that actually sort of disturbed me this morning. Um, one of the board members, Pete Mouton, which is the son of Yanni Mouton, yes, which from is PSG, the holding yeah. company, PSG, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he compared basically the fatality rate of COVID-19 to the cases of death in South Africa in, you know, the general, like, road fatality. He said, these are his own words. Do you stop driving trucks because of the probability of death while driving? The simple answer is no. So why do you stop people from earning a, a living wage? Obviously, this was from Business Insider this morning. But I, you see, I look, yeah, I looked at this, uh, and I'm not quite sure what he's talking about. So, so I, I mean, I, I think what he's talking about, uh, and this is in the context of other private school groupings that have come out and called for the reopening of schools or a firm commitment towards that, because they're saying that, you know, one, they're not going to make any revenue if uh, the kids are at home and teachers aren't going to get paid. And I think he makes that comment in that context. Because remember, if, if I'm paying at Curo and I, I see now for the last quarter uh, the youngsters haven't been going to school, I mean, what's the point in me paying for the next three months or, or the next half year or, or the next year uh, if um, I don't have any certainty uh, that, uh, you know, um, you know my, my kids are going to be able to go back to school? And I think... You know, the only real revenue line from which they draw teachers' salaries and everything else is the money that comes from some of the parents. So he's speaking in his own self-interest, but I must say very tone-deaf and insensitive. I agree definitely on the latter. Um, my biggest <laughs> issue is that we, 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 not, we, are, we as a people, especially people in his position, right, we are not taking this seriously enough. It's not like yes. people are aware. Uh, you know, a few isolated incidents and it's very hard to get. This is a, a, a you know, a, a, a disease that compounds. You know, one person gives it to five people. It's not like one person gives it to another one person mm. and it grows like that one by one. It grows exponentially and it's a problem once it gets out of hand. But at some point, someone did say that, you know, 70% of the population might get it. That's when we're going to, you know, survive this, etc. The big problem is that Schooling has been um, politicized the same way, yeah, you yeah. know, liquor and, and smoking has been. So it's kind of like a power play right now from the top powers of the people that run the country. And this is yeah. why you find these business leaders confused and where we are today, saying things that sound outrageous, but they actually make sense, but also questionable. There's a lot of power plays happening uh, in Bulazi, and I do think that this particular issue much like with everything else, is, is really going to be a flashpoint for all of our inequalities because, um, you know, Pete Mouton can say that uh, in the context of uh, all of the well-heeled schools in the Curo group, uh, but you certainly can't say that for a school in Guavuma or, or you know, somewhere else where, where you don't have the same kind of resources. Talking about power right. plays, let's shift our attention to Zambia. Now, uh, here it seems the uh, Zambian government wants a replay of the 1969 nationalization of the mines, uh, in that southern African country. And I think we all know what undid that decision. It was the volatility of copper prices and the impact that those had on foreign exchange earnings and the ability of that country to uh, weather some of the difficult economic storms of the 70s and the 80s. But that being said, I mean, what are they going to do differently now, uh, this time around? Uh, they're looking to, I guess, give a bigger stake to some of the uh, 
investment arms that take uh, stakes, minor stakes in some of the uh, mining companies, and they're now looking to become an operator. What's happening here? So, so the government, basically the ZCCM investment holding company, which is, like you said, the investment arm of, you know, the the, the government there, had already, you know, been building these stakes in these mines slowly, okay? Um, working with partners such as, you know, Glencore, for example, in the Mopani copper mines and the mm-hmm. Concolas and data, etc. So it sort of kind of makes sense if you already, you know, you have, you know, the foot in and you pay for it to get there. And obviously, if you want to now operate your own mine, you have at least some insights and some skills. Well, given that they sent their own people to actually learn the trade, um, how sure, things are done sure. and how to run a successful, profitable mining company. So they're doing exactly that. Kind of makes sense if, you know, mining contributes about 10% of Zambia's economy and is basically the, the largest export that they have. So they're the yeah. generator of foreign uh, currency. But it does make sense on many levels economically. But again, sure. um, like you've insinuated just now, will it be solely for profit or it's going to become now a power play and then again, be the repeat of what happened in the past, things get yeah. out of hand, you know, and then chase, you know, business away from the country. But I think... Yeah, look, I mean, I, there's, I, I there's do think, Bulazi, that... Yeah, I do think there is a middle way. I mean, uh, you know, the Scandinavian countries and, and that social democratic model shows us uh, that there, there might be some middle way here. But um, if you don't create stabilizers for a country as reliant on a very volatile uh, export like copper, you don't create the yeah. safeguards. The moment copper prices tank, you you find yourself in the middle of some very, very tough headwinds, you know? Correct. I mean, these are copper and manganese mines mostly. So, mm. the, the, But another point to be made is that um, the government does own a lot of land. Uh, they might actually own, you know, land that has mining rights or maybe oh, mines that have been operating but not for too long. So they still mm. have, you know, a lot of useful life going into the future. So there are those opportunities to to do such things. But you know, again, risk reward. Um, you're yeah. not sure in a brand new mine whether you're going to get the right quality of the copper that you want. Like you say, copper price is very volatile. Manganese, same story. So um, this is basically the blueprint of governments learning how to operate the company. That's usually sure. what it is. Yeah. Exactly. You have exactly. to take Last one. If you want to make that money. Sure, definitely, definitely. And uh, certainly going to watch that one quite closely there at the uh, Southern African nation of Zambia, uh, looking through their IDC, which is the estate investment arm, to operate in some of the mines where they have a minority stake. Last one, Bulaz, before I let you go, what's happening at Kulula? It seems the business rescue practitioners are looking for a hike of their tariffs. And uh, yeah, they do so at a time where you know, probably don't want to be increasing. You don't want to be increasing the tariffs or the fees of a professional service provider at a time where you have to be negotiating severance packages, we have to be negotiating layoffs. You know, when they said, you know, the vouchers are circling in Chapter 11 companies, I thought Ooh. they were referring to private equity guys and, you know, <laughs> private financiers like myself. But clearly here they forgot the lawyers and, you know, the people there, the, the, the business risky practitioners, because they want to double their hourly, you know, um, wage or, you know, their wage, hourly wage. Uh. By 100% from 2000 to 4000. 2000, by the way, is written and stipulated um, in the Act of 2011. So 
I don't know. Ah, not even two point five nyana. Not even two point five nyana. Just four thousand. Let's say you're a really greedy pig, bastard. You name it. Say three thousand, but one hundred percent. Ah, you can't say that. Sure. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not quite sure what to, what you are at, at four thousand. But anyway, oh, these are the kinds of people you you're working with. I'm not saying they shouldn't get paid, but I mean, there must be a middle ground there. We must negotiate at least. Don't you oh, know, just come guns blazing with a hundred percent increase, mm. changing the no, law with your own. I guess, I, I, I guess they're doing what uh, trade unionists often do in negotiations. You've got to start as high as you can, so that uh, the way down uh, uh, at least gets you to where you would have started anyway. And I think maybe a two point five might be a nice compromise. Bulaz, let's leave it there, my brother. Always a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you. Thank you. That there was Rad Kumar, is an analyst and portfolio ma manager at Vestact Asset Management. Uh, there with us for our first part of our business wrap. Next part of it uh, in the next uh, a few seconds is uh, going to be taking a look at the restaurant industry. They have a protest coming up on Wednesday. Wendy Alberts, a CEO at the Restaurant Association of South Africa, is going to join me.